0: You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com.
1: Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, and as always, I'm joined on the show by Doug Moore, my co-host. And uh, Doug, it is uh, NFL Week one
2: Woohoo! Woo-hoo! We've worked up all the way to this point, and now we have there there is not a week for the next what four months that we don't have football i am excited i can tell you somebody who is not that's my girlfriend
1: yeah and uh i'm in a bit of a pickle i've mentioned it multiple times in the show my wedding is this saturday and uh I'm going to have to be sneaking away on uh, Sunday to get some NFL action, particularly the Packers uh, in that early slate, so I'm looking forward to figuring out how I'm going to do this balance act between uh, setting lineups and everything, it's, it's going to be fun uh, I'm not looking forward to looking through the injury reports on Sunday at some point but uh, NFL Week 1, we have talked all off-season, This season is finally here we, we make our predictions, Doug. We we try and figure out what's going to happen, and this week we're going to really start to figure out if we actually knew anything about what we were talking about. So, as always, the show kicking off uh, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in, all the ways to listen to the show. You can stream it on overtimeirland.com. Uh, we've been having a sensational run of guests over the last kind of. I would say 12 weeks, basically, and uh, today is no exception. We're going to be joined by Mike Tagliere of Pro Football Focus. Really looking forward to going through all the week one slate and the NFL news with him in just a little moment. Uh, this past weekend, Doug, I uh, headed up to Dublin to see uh, Boston College take on Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech winning that one late. It was quite a good game, actually, in very, very testing conditions. Did you get to Did you get to watch any of that early morning stateside?
2: Yeah, I, I did. I did. I remember watching the... Um uh, oh god! It was a long run by John Hilleman for yeah, yeah. I think was uh, for, for a touchdown. Years, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, that was that was what I was. Uh, I, I get to watch, and I was extremely excited about that. But uh, in the end, you know, the the the, the offense for BC again as was its uh, downfall. So yeah. um, you know, it, it's a tough to be a BC Eagles fan when when uh, you know that they probably have one of the best defenses in the country, but nothing close to. A
1: solid offense. Yeah and uh, I think you know they got a bit of that Andy Reid uh, 6 minute, 2 minute drive attempt You know when they were trying to run out the clock and I think that just uh, bit them on the butt at the very end of it. Um, obviously this week NFL week 1 is coming up and uh, I promised they'd be giving away some OTI t-shirts and that this weekend so I think I'll be giving those out on Twitter so make sure you're following us at Overtime Ireland on Twitter uh, and get involved in those some uh, free goodies, you can never really complain all that much about that So, Doug, uh, let's get Mike Tagliere on the show. Just before we get into that, I want to tell you quickly about an offer we have here at OTI in association with BetDSI, the online sportsbook. I know a lot of our listeners like to put on uh, a wager to make the games a little more interesting each and every week. And with NFL Week 1 just around the corner, no better time to cash in on this offer. It is for a free $10 wager. All you have to do is go to BetDSI.com. When you're signing up, use the code OTI10, and then, of course, they'll give you a free, no-risk, $10 wager to uh, see what you think of the product that they provide. So I used them towards the end of last season, and I will be using them heading into the 2016 season. I think they provide a fantastic service. So uh, that is BetDSI.com. The code is OTI10. Go get yourself a free $10 wager. Joined now in the podcast by Mike Tagliere of Pro Football Focus. Uh, if you're not following him on Twitter already, I don't know what uh, what you're doing with your, your Twitter life. But Mike, uh, thanks for jumping aboard the show with us.
0: No, thanks for having me on. It's it's that time in the year where you know it's two days away from actual football that we get to dissect, and you know we've all been looking at the same numbers for the past you know eight months, and you know it gets to a point where you you're getting redundant, you're repeating yourself, but now we finally have tangent up-to-date data we'll be able to get our hands on. I look forward to it.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. It's like we're getting to the stage now where if you're drafting for the last uh, three or four months, if you're doing MFL NFL 10, you're starting to come around to the stage where you're starting to think, Am I wrong? The whole time when I have so many of these players on my rosters, you're starting to... So week one will certainly be exciting, just a couple of days away now, and of course Sunday will be action-packed. We'll be running through as many of the games as possible uh, as we go through it, but we're going to run through some of the week's news first. I guess the big story off the past week was the Minnesota Vikings uh, acquiring Sam Bradford from the Philadelphia Eagles. A move that really, really shocked me. Uh, I was up in Dublin at the, the Boston College game against Georgia Tech, and uh, the news broke when I was at that, and I was absolutely stunned. And then when I heard that they had traded a, a first-round pick for the 2017 draft, and then a conditional pick after that, it even stunned me more. But how do you feel about, uh, firstly, the trade from uh, the Eagles' point of view? Uh, I think it's great for them, for the Vikings Obviously, they're uh, with Teddy Ridgewater probably in his last year or second to last year with the Vikings. They're in uh, kind of a win-now mode. They see an opportunity here. And then, of course, for fantasy, you know, I wasn't projecting this team to do much for the 2016 season fantasy-wise. Maybe Stefan Diggs, and of course, then you have Adrian Peterson. But outside of that, um, you know, I, I think we're still probably back to the stage similar to what it was pre-Teddy pre- uh, Ridgewater injury.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're going to be throwing the ball a ton. I don't think this affects Minnesota's um, players very much. And honestly, even if you go back to the Eagles, I think this is a fantastic trade on their part. Yeah. You know, they, they've they've admitted that they're not they're waving the white flag, and you know, they're they're not winning this season. They know that it's in rebuild mode. They've made a few trades, and you know, this is a great one. Uh, getting a first and a fourth round pick for Sam Bradford. I mean, <laughs> at some point in the negotiations, somebody had to say no a first-round pick is not enough for Sam Bradford. We want a fourth round, too. And somehow they got the Vikings to agree with that. Now, me, I I actually talked on a podcast last week before the trade happened saying that Minnesota, I thought that they should trade for Josh McCown because Teddy Bridgewater, by all accounts, it sounds like he's going to be back to somewhat close to 100% after about a year, maybe a year and a half. So to bring in Bradford is just going to cause a problem that they don't necessarily need. And for a first-round pick, nonetheless, I know that they're in to win now, but I don't know if Sam Bradford actually does that. I think uh, at this point in their career, I think I'd feel comfortable in saying that Josh McCown might actually give you the better chance, and they probably could have had him for a third-round pick. So uh, it was a bad trade for the Vikings. I don't think this increases their chance at a Super Bowl this year, and I don't think it helps their chances for a future.
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned there, you know, obviously with Bradford coming in, uh, if the Vikings happen to win the Super Bowl this year, it would bounce that uh, conditional pick all the way up to a second round pick in 2018, so it could get a lot more pricey, but I suppose if they won the Super Bowl, they would think that was all worth it, but, you know, Sam Bradford is not the, the picture of health over his time in the NFL either, so the real problem here for the Vikings would be if he happens to go down, but... Uh, hopefully for their sake that won't happen then of course on the eagle side of things uh, Carson Wentz is going to get the start a lot earlier than we expected this time last week he was going to be uh, starting uh, as a you know the backup there and probably we thought mm-hmm. at that stage last week that if something happened Bradford the Chase Daniel would get the, the run there as their starter but he's starting now against the Browns this week for the Philadelphia Eagles it's obviously a nice matchup against the Browns defense but uh, the any effect you know in your opinion on the skill position players of the Eagles, you know, Jordan Matthews, Zach Ertz, those kind of players, uh, regarding Wentz being the starter?
0: Yeah, I know. The crazy part is I actually I did a I did a mailbag earlier for PFF today answering some uh, followers questions. And one of the questions was, should I be worried about Ryan Matthews, you know, after the Bradford trade? And honestly, I don't think this really affects him very much just because what you look at, you look at Doug Peterson, what he was doing over in Kansas City with Andy Reid, and not many people know that they threw the ball in Kansas City 26 times or less in seven of their last nine games. They're relying heavily on the running backs. They're, tr- they're essentially trying to minimize the quarterback position uh, and turn someone into a game manager. So this is actually the ideal situation if you're going to start a rookie to throw him into. The-, the question is, can Ryan Matthews stay healthy while handling a load of, you know, 15 to 20 carries a game? Uh, I think uh, Barner is going to have a bigger role in this offense than we thought. I know they've talked about Sproles, but he's aging. He's not known as one to carry the ball a whole bunch, but um, I don't. I don't love the move for veteran uh, for like a, a Jordan Matthews, but I also don't think it totally drops him off the face of the earth because he was already being drafted as uh, like a wide receiver three in drafts. So it's not like people were relying on him as a top 15 wide receiver or anything like that
1: yeah I agree and I think he was been I, I actually think it's got to the stage where the, the hate's kind of gone too far in Jordan Matthews but we'll see how uh, you know the thing with Wentz is it is an unknown you know he barely played in the preseason we'll see how he steps up now when he gets yeah. onto the field uh, we did mention there of course uh, they are playing the Cleveland Browns this week is there any players that you'd be uh, looking to include or not including your lineups uh, heading into week one from that Cleveland Browns versus uh, Philadelphia Eagles game uh, a few of the players
0: I look at, obviously Ryan Matthews is one of those guys that you'd probably want to stick in your lineup. But on the other side of the ball, you're looking at Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. I think both of them can get plenty of work in this game. Because like you said, Wentz, he's a rookie quarterback. He didn't even really play in the preseason. He played that one game. He didn't start in that game. And they're kind of throwing him into the fire. I would have rather seen Chase Daniel uh, be put out there in week one. Yep. But, you know, it's its not my call. But uh, Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson should be able to provide really good value. They're playing against an Eagles Defense that allowed the most rushing yards per game last year. Uh, they only allowed seven rushing touchdowns, but the yardage is there, and both of them should see double-digit touches in this game.
2: So, so Mike, um, you know, moving forward into another topic, as much as I'd love to, to talk about the Browns and the Eagles as much <laughs> as I would, uh, I'm curious to see what you think, um, especially behind this, um, uh, I guess, uh, Aaron Foster sort of... Um, you know, move so much where, you know, we didn't expect it in the off season to begin with. He was still coming off of a torn Achilles and, you know, he came on to the the Dolphins as many predicted for months after him showing up uh, for one of their practices. And now he, he's almost the unquestioned starter and and Ajaj, Ajayi, I keep pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> um, he he, uh, he has taken a backseat to that. Um, I'm curious what your take is. How would you view arian foster obviously he's had some health issues but uh and he also didn't do that well in the run game last year um more so being dynamic in the passing game more than anything but i'm just curious to see what your take is on him uh you know is it a buyer's beware situation how do you view ajayi now that he is taken a back seat? and how would you go about this situation for those who are drafting either tonight or or tomorrow
0: like myself yeah, yeah. No, no. So Arian Foster is uh, he's an intriguing player just because of what he's meant to the fantasy football community. And I, I, th- I believe there's a bit of nostalgia there with Arian Foster, and you want to believe he's the player he used to be. Um, now, last year, you saw his his rushing totals kind of take a dip. It was a smaller sample size, so I'm not going to overread into that too much. Um, Arian Foster, although he's coming off a torn Achilles, he's a guy that you never really relied on his burst. He was a glider, and he still is. But at this point in his career, he's more of a, uh, you know, a receiver than anything. And I think that's why Adam Gase brought him in to be somewhat of like the Matt Forte of this offense. And um, the thing you have to worry about Aaron Foster, here's the thing. I think the first four weeks he's going to have value. You look at them, they're going to be playing at Seattle, which is not a game for a Jaye at all. Like this is more like garbage time. You're going to hope for him to catch a lot of passes in this game, which is very possible because it looks like Devontae Parker is going to be missing week one. He still hasn't returned to practice. Uh, You look at week two, they're going to be playing at New England. That's a game where New England is going to be coming off a loss against Arizona, a little upset playing at home. Uh, That's probably another loss for the Dolphins that they'll be in comeback mode against. Uh, Then week three is Cleveland, so that's a good matchup. That could be a mix of both Foster and Ajayi. And then week four, they're at Cincy. So the schedule does not line up very well for Jay Ajayi. So me personally, I do not draft Jay Ajayi in drafts right now. So if you're drafting tonight or tomorrow no Ajayi you will be able to trade for him after week four and most people will concede okay this is Arian Foster's show you know until he gets hurt or whatever and Ajayi you might find him on some waiver wires heading into week five
1: yeah I agree with you there and earlier this offseason prior to the the Foster signing I was starting to pick up a good bit of uh, Ajayi but you know, in recent recent kind of weeks, it's really started to cool down from my perspective, and you're, I agree one hundred percent with the schedule. Uh, it's going to be interesting this game as well. You know, you mentioned garbage time, maybe with Foster coming off that injury, maybe maybe if they are getting blown out, there might be a concern there that they set him, but I think I I do agree with you that uh, there is the opportunity if they're they're getting blown out for him to to get some garbage yards, you know, Seattle going to kind of more of a prevent defense, and it's going to be an interesting one. You mentioned Devontae Parker there as well. He obviously missed training again today, Tuesday, and uh, that's with them hamstring issues, so his uh, off-season has really not gone as how he had planned. He finished the season strong last year. There was a lot of hype around him at the start of the the off-season, but just at the moment, he's struggling to, to stay healthy and get on the field. Outside of uh, Foster, who we mentioned, and j e and then obviously Parker does not look like he's going to be fit to play this week. Anyone else uh, on the Miami side of the ball that you're looking at this week? And then, of course, Seattle, you're looking at all your, your usual suspects there. And the only thing that you have to keep an eye on is uh, Christine Michael uh, has got himself ahead of the depth chart, ahead of Thomas Rawls. But I think that's more down to... Uh, just uh, the situation with Thomas Rawls over the last few weeks coming back from that injury. I think he'll be on a snap count this week. So just uh, that is something to be wary of on on that game. Anyone that you're looking to uh, have heavily involved in your lineups?
0: Yeah, no, me personally, when it comes to Miami, you want to stay far away from the starters if you can in that game just because it's in Seattle. That's one of the toughest places to play. There's not even any... Because the thing is, is, you'd say Jarvis Landry plays the slot. Richard Sherman used to play just on the outside. But if you pay attention, last year you saw you started seeing Richard Sherman shadow some wide receivers into the slot. So they're trying to expand his role to covering a number one wide receiver. And there is no way you're going to put him on anybody else, especially if Devontae Parker's out. So I stay clear and far away from as many dolphins as possible. Uh, on the, the Seattle side of the ball, Russell Wilson's obviously a must start. You know that. Um, but, but Kristen Michael is interesting. So the way that I kind of see this game playing out, I know that the unofficial death chart came out this morning and, you know, Thomas Rawls is number two. I I don't really buy that yet. I think it's more of like Pete Carroll saying, we want to ease him in. Uh, I think Thomas Rawls starts the game. I think they give him a series. They see how he looks and if he looks good, you know, they'll spell him. But if he does basically just average, if he's just, you know, out there getting three, four yards per carry, nothing special. I think they're going to go to Kristen Michael and they're going to see what the kid has, see if they can continue that momentum that he had over the preseason into the regular season. And honestly, this can be a week where like you might see the tides turn. This could if Kristen Michael gets his chance and he runs with it, he will steal this job. Pete Carroll is one of the coaches in the NFL that does not care. He does not care what you think he should do. He will play the best player. And if Kristen Michael is the best player on the field, there is no way that Pete Carroll will take him off. So there is some real hype to be had with Kristen Michael. And I mean, although I still, Thomas Rall is is still probably the guy that I want. It's something that you definitely want to take notice of. So, going into another running back situation that I think has confused some people, not
2: necessarily confused, but sort of taken some people by surprise, now that we're getting into the, you know, obviously now we're in week one, is the chief running back situation, where I think it was Sunday or it was either Saturday or Sunday, where um, Jamal Charles was reported to, you know, not be the starting guy at least week one, and Andy Reid almost confirmed that. And now it's a case where Spencer Ware looks like he's going to be the starter at least week one. And there's a chance that Jamal Charles doesn't even play. I I want to get your take on this. Obviously, you know, this running back situation was still gold, not gold, but it was still valuable last year, even after um, Charles went down with the ACL tear. So I I want to see what your take is. How do you how do you view Charles? How do you view Ware? How do you view West even this week?
0: Right. Well, that's the thing is most people don't know this but because it's just like you you go by perception and perception's reality and all that stuff, but most people don't know the Chiefs actually ran the ball more once Jamal Charles went down last year. When he was active – they ran the ball 18 times per game. Once he got hurt, it went to 21, almost 22 times per game that they were carrying the ball. So when you look at Spencer Ware in week one, if Jamal Charles is out, you're looking at a death chart behind him of Charkandrick West, who's been dealing with a shoulder injury, causing him to miss the majority of the preseason. So that kind of takes away some of the appeal there and then they kept Niall Davis on the roster instead of cutting him because I think they were really concerned about Jamal Charles not being ready for week one so they needed that extra level of depth at their running back position that being said Spencer Ware needs to be in lineups in week one if Jamal Charles is out like this is not a question like I have him in a lot of leagues and I'm starting him over guys like Frank Gore Uh, you have to consider starting him over anybody Honestly, I my initial set of projections has Spencer Ware as the number six running back in standard leagues with Jamal Charles out. I mean, that's because you look at the week one opponent, the Chargers, I mean, we ranked them at PFF as the number 32 run defense last year. Uh, and if you watch them this preseason, they looked every bit as bad as they did last year. Uh, Joey Bosa, I know he was brought in to help, but he's not going to play week one. He's already suffering some setbacks because of no basically training time uh, on the field this is a Chargers defense that allowed 11 of the 16 teams they played to top 100 yards rushing this is a fantastic play uh the game's in Kansas City they're favored by seven points it's everything you would want in a matchup and Spencer Ware is going to see a minimum of 18 touches in this game love Spencer Ware
1: yeah I agree 100% there and me and Doug have been big proponents of Spencer Ware all offseason and You know, there's a lot of people probably that maybe drafted two or three weeks ago, and you know, some leagues there's not as many smart players as maybe there should be. And if you're in a league that uh, just check your waiver wire because somebody like Spencer Ware could possibly still be sitting on it. And then of course, Christine Michael, there we mentioned him a moment ago. He's another person that you know, if you don't get him this week, uh, the scramble could possibly be on next Tuesday to see who can pick him up. So uh, definitely one to get into your uh, into your roster. Uh, Just looking at that game, obviously it's in Kansas City. Uh, You have Jeremy Macklin, Alex Smith. Uh, you know, and then we have already covered the running backs, Travis Kelsey, as well for the for the Kansas City Chiefs. On the other side, I'm a big uh, proponent of Keenan Allen, I think there's uh, going to have success this season, but maybe not against the Kansas City Chiefs' defense, which can be very tough. But I'll still be. He's kind of one of those players. I think I'll still be adding him to my lineups. Philip Rivers' value, I think, takes a dip against the Chiefs, and uh, then of course we've seen Melvin Gordon pick up a little bit uh, in the preseason from his performance last year. But it's going to be very, very tough uh, against the Chiefs this week. Any players uh, outside of those mentioned that you're you're really looking uh, from particularly the Chargers maybe uh, to get into your lineups?
0: I would avoid Philip Rivers, and I yeah, know that I so. that a lot of p a lot of people are are you know on Philip Rivers this year and they think that he's being overlooked i I think he's being overvalued a little bit. uh if you go back and look at Philip Rivers in two thousand and thirteen, he threw five hundred and forty four times and the reason in uh, the the running backs, they actually ran the ball four hundred and thirty five times that year. The reason that's relevant to today is because the Chargers went out and got the offensive coordinator that they used in that time, Ken Wisenhunt. Ken Wisenhunt does not want Phillip Rivers to throw the ball 661 times like he did last year. He wants to even out that. He wants to run the ball a bit more. And with Melvin Gordon running the way he is, it's it's smart to do so. Um, so when you talk about Phillip Rivers and you know what him and Keenan Allen had last year, a lot of it was was brought on by volume. So when you look at this game and the game script that the Chiefs are going to do, they run a ball control offense. Spencer Ware will allow them to do that. Uh, And then you look at Phillip Rivers even last year when he was throwing all those attempts. Uh, Kansas City, they held three teams all year to no passing touchdowns. And two of those games were Phillip Rivers. So uh, Phillip Rivers didn't throw a single touchdown against Kansas City last year. And that's when he was throwing the ball, you know, over 660 times. So, Mike, uh,
2: another key matchup that we're looking at this week uh, is obviously the um, the matinee, I guess you could say, showing of the week on Sunday night, where we have a potential Super Bowl matchup. And no, I'm not bringing this up because I cover the Patriots, but I am curious to see <laughs> to see what you think. Um, we have the Cardinals and we have the Patriots. I, I want to see what you think. I-, I know everybody's been talking about what um, you know what Jimmy Garoppolo can do with this offense, but what I'm what I'm Uh, wondering is how does this affect the rest of the players on the Patriots with Jimmy Garoppolo and at quarterback in terms of fantasy at least as opposed to Tom Brady of course and then also you know are you buying into the hype that you know with with David Johnson and then how do you think that you know the wide receivers of the Cardinals will do against one of the best I would say secondaries in the league with the uh, the Patriots as well.
0: Yeah, no, starting with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um this is an extremely bad matchup for someone to make their first NFL start in, especially someone like Garoppolo who's got high expectations. He's on a, he's on a team that's in the spotlight with all this Tom Brady news. It's not a good spot for him. It's really not. And Bill Belichick knows that he's not dumb. He's going to try and run LeGarrette Blunt. But the problem is, is that he, they're going up against an Arizona team that can put points on the board, regardless of how good your defense is. Uh, yes, you have Malcolm Butler out there, who's probably going to shadow, I would say, I would think Michael Floyd. And then they're going to stick Logan Ryan on Larry Fitzgerald. Um if, if there's one Cardinals wide receiver that I'm interested in playing, uh, and maybe in DFS purposes, is ju- is um, John Brown. If he plays, you know, he's dealing with those concussion, uh, reoccurring symptoms, but he's going to have Justin Coleman. So he's probably got the, the best matchup of all the wide receivers there. But I still see this as a game where they go heavy David Johnson. I see, I see David Johnson touching the ball 20-plus times in this game, uh, playing more of a ball control mode. I don't think that Carson Palmer has... Has gotten enough trust from Bruce Arians in the preseason or the playoffs or or even the end of the 2015 season. I mean, I don't. A lot of people are overlooking this with Carson Palmer, but he's been extremely bad the last you know seven times he's been on the field. He hasn't looked good at all. So it could have a combination to do with the fact that you know Larry Fitzgerald was dealing with a knee injury through preseason. John Brown hasn't been on the field. I don't know, but you know you have to worry about these things. Carson Palmer is not a young guy anymore. Um, so Bruce Arians is not an idiot. He knows that he just all he wants to do is come out of this game with a win, and the best way for them to do that is attack them with a run, move through David Johnson, short passes, move the chains, like a very uh, workmanlike game. I don't think I don't think they need to do anything extraordinary. I think their defense is good enough to keep Jimmy Garoppolo in check. Um, especially and one player on the Patriots I'm especially probably staying away from is uh, Martellus Bennett. I know a lot of people, you know, want to believe in him and that he's the new Aaron Hernandez. Well, Aaron Hernandez didn't always have great games with Tom Brady, let alone with Jimmy Garoppolo versus an Arizona defense. So uh, I have my concerns about the Patriots. I don't see them coming away with a win in this game. I just see a very workmanlike performance from the Cardinals in a win.
1: Yeah, and over the season, uh, I know that Doug is a big uh, Bennett proponent this season, and I've been buying a lot yeah. of him too, but I don't think this week is going to be the particular week that you're really going to cash in on your Martellus Bennett shares Uh, I'm going to rapid fire through some games here and uh, I'm going to let Mike head up his uh, thoughts if he has any in particular on them obviously Carolina at Denver is going to open the season uh, Super Bowl rematch Uh, this game obviously there's concerns Uh, Trevor Simeon starting a quarterback and people are wondering what you're going to get out of uh, the quarterback in Denver this year well last year people might be quick to forget but they didn't get a lot out of the position (laughs) in terms of Peyton Manning and uh, Brock Osweiler so I think uh, with the Denver receivers it's kind of obviously if you've taken Demarius Thomas in the first three rounds, you're probably needing to start him this week, but if you have uh, you know, the luxury that you have other options to play this week, I think it might almost be a case this week with Denver to uh, wait and see because you're going up against the, the Panthers defense and I know there's been a couple of changes to the back end of it at the cornerback position, but I think uh, you know this week I might be sitting waiting and seeing. And the player that I like uh, to start maybe this week, and it's obviously going against a stout front seven, and that there's uh, C.J. Anderson. I think uh, they're going to pound the rock quite heavy this week and get him involved from the very start. The other one, uh, the Panthers, obviously, Cam Newton is obviously the start you want there. Um, he's going to run the ball. But again, it's it's Thursday night football, first game of the season. I can see this being a very close game with not a lot of fantasy points. Do you think it stays low scoring, and it's kind of one of those ones that maybe it's better to wait to the, the Sunday slate?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is with me, with Demarius Thomas, I'm not too scared to play him this week just because, you know, the Panthers secondary is a completely different unit. And I've said it on other podcasts that I, and I know it's a hot take and that people, you know, don't want to believe me. But uh, I think that the Panthers are going to be a team that you actually target in matchups this year rather than the one you feared last year with Josh okay. Norman. And that's got a trickle-down effect into the run defense, too, because a lot of times you have to drop back guys into coverage that you wouldn't have had to with Josh Norman on the field. I don't think anybody realizes the impact of what a shutdown corner does for a defense. Um, The one thing that I do want to say in this game, the the Broncos really need to establish the run against uh, Carolina. And this is with Josh Norman last year. There were seven teams that ran the ball more than 20 times against Carolina in those games, they were able to rack up almost 4.4 yards per carry scored six touchdowns. Obviously not something that most teams did, but if you had, if you got over that 20 carry Mark, you were able to succeed against Carolina. I think that's what the Broncos need to do in this game in order to succeed. Uh, And on the other side, you know, Cam Newton, I think there is room for success in this Broncos secondary. Uh, you know, it's, it's gotta be quick hitting because they do bring the pressure, but Denver did allow, uh, 11 passing touchdowns over their final six games compared to just eight in their first 10 games of the regular season. So um, yeah, me, it's just more established the run for the Broncos and I'm not too against Demerians Thomas. I think that, Trevor Simeon actually helps Demarius Thomas more than Mark Sanchez would have.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree there. And it's exciting just to be thinking about how you mentioned about the, the Panthers, you know, how the defence could change this year. It's exciting to start to look forward and we're starting to this time next week we'll have a better idea of how things are all going to yeah. shake up. Next game up Buffalo, uh travelling to Baltimore. It uh, could be an interesting match. Uh, obviously, we have uh, Joe Flacco returning from his injury, and it's you know the Baltimore team. Whether it's the tight end position, the wide receiver position, the running back position, it's all really still up in the air. So I'll be kind of just completely staying away from Baltimore this week. Uh, obviously, Buffalo, you have Tyrod Taylor, uh, Sammy Watkins, and you know is there anything are you are you confident going in there more Buffalo side than uh, looking to start any any of your Ravens?
0: Yeah, I'm not starting any (laughs) Ravens in this game. There's no way that you can pay me enough money to start a Raven this week. It's It's, hard to know. this, This is one of the games where it's not even really... I, don't, I won't even say it's going to be an exciting game to watch. I think it's more of going to be in a game where I can't wait to go back and look at the snap counts to see how they used wide receivers, who was on the field in two wide receiver sets, how much they used Brashad Perriman, who the starting uh, tight end is, who the starting running back is, you know, <laughs> how they allocate the touches to their running backs, you know. Yeah. This was something all offseason, and it's why I didn't end up with any of the Baltimore running backs on my team. If there's anybody that you're talking about, it's it's Dixon, and um, yeah. if you can stash him, but that's he's not going to be playing for three, four weeks. Um, But, yeah, on the Buffalo side, you got Tyrod Taylor's homecoming going back to play in Baltimore, you know, where he came from. Uh, You know, Baltimore's secondary is is a defense to almost target. Sammy Watkins is going to be a fantastic play along with LaShawn McCoy. So no real big surprises in that one.
1: Yeah, and I think McCoy over the last uh, kind of six weeks has really started to, to grow on me quite a bit. Uh, surprising news when the cuts came out this week was that the Packers released uh, their former all pro yard Josh Sitton. He's actually gone across to the rival Bears and signed a three year contract with them. And as a Packers fan, I was very shocked when I, I seen him been traded, or been cut, and then of course he's gone to the Bears, which makes it a little bit harder to take. (laughs) Uh, Lane Taylor is going to start for the Packers there and uh, with the Packers this week, they travel to Jacksonville. This should be uh, you know, it's one of those games could turn out to be a fantasy bonanza, because I expect uh, you know, with Jordy Nelson expected to have a a good influence on the game Uh, Eddie Lacy starting to look a bit sharper than he did last season, and then I just think if the Packers can build up a lead, we know what Jacksonville can do from behind at times. I still don't think the Jacksonville defense is going to be there this year. I think they're another year away from uh, the defense taking a big step. So uh, this one I think could be one of the higher scoring games of the week.
0: Yeah, I like what you said about the Jacksonville secondary. I know a lot of people are jumping in saying that Jacksonville did so much and they're going to be a great defense this year. It takes time, you know. Like these are all these are young kids, a lot of them, and they're coming in to play for the first year. Are they going to improve? Absolutely, but that doesn't mean they're going to be great right out of the gate. And that's when you look at the you know the matchups of Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. I don't know who Jacksonville is going to appoint Jalen Ramsey to. I don't know if they're going to keep him on the outside against Jordy. I don't know if they're going to say, you know what? You're going to match up with Randall Cobb in the slot. I know PFF, um, the, the ones who put the cornerback matchups together, they're expecting Ramsey to stay in the slot. Uh, to Stan Cobb, and you know, if anything, that's a plus for Randall Cobb going up against a rookie in his first game. Um, but one name, and you're, you being a Packers fan, uh, I'm sure you're, you don't even hear this name is Devontae Adams. Uh, he's got the he's got arguably the best matchup of yeah. anybody in this game. Uh, Devon House, who we graded as Jacksonville's Farmer worst cornerback last yeah. year. Yeah, and Adams is on his side of the field almost 60% of the time, so that's a guy who allowed six touchdowns in coverage last year, and if you're projecting Aaron Rodgers to have a good game, it's very possible that Devontae Adams could make a lot of people forget about what Devontae Adams did not do last year.
1: Yeah, the hate went a bit uh, too far, I think, and you know, to see where he's fallen in drafts from last year to this year is quite incredible, so we'll see maybe a little bit of a a rebound here.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So, so, Mike, going into some of the other games, and, and I'm curious, especially with the, the storylines behind them, um, going, example, uh, obviously the Cowboys and the Giants. This is uh, for a couple different storylines, one being that now that Tony Romo is not going to play week one, I think it's all but certain at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, You know, they kept him off the IR, so who knows at this point. But um, you know, despite their optimism, I don't think he plays. We got Dak Prescott in there. My concern is is he's being a little overvalued, and, and one of the reasons I say that is because, you know, when he played, he did play in the preseason, he did well in the preseason, but he also went up against, you know, I, I wouldn't say the most tough uh, defensive schemes, and... Now he's in an opportunity where he's going to be starting against the Giants, who put a lot of money into the defensive front and into their secondary. So I'm curious to see what you think. How does this affect Dez? How does this affect Ezekiel Elliott, even Terrence Williams and Jason Witten? And then also, do you think this is going to be a game where we could see Sterling Shepard, all all this hype, and I've certainly fed into this fire, where he comes out and, and, and just starts doing really well right off the bat? And also with their defensive line, the Cowboys being... Can this help the run game at all for the Giants, especially, you know, someone like Rashad Jennings?
0: Right. Well, the biggest storyline for this game is the fact that Dallas is missing like half their starters. But the issue here, though, is that, you know, the Giants, their offensive line is so not very good that it's possible <laughs> as it's possible that Dallas can still generate pressure up front. Uh, you look at back at the Dallas team last year. Dallas wasn't a great defense last year, but. In the, and it's like kind of like this Philip Rivers syndrome, uh, there were just um, two games last year where Eli Manning did not throw touchdowns. Both of them were against Dallas. Uh, and it, it might have been game script, but it is what it is. He didn't even top 200 yards in either of the games. I think that's part of the reason that you have to evaluate division games a little bit different. Um, the over-under in this game is 46. So it, it's it's low for a game that you would expect to be a shootout. And it's probably going to get a lot of people betting the over just because of the public perception. But division games tend to be closer, which is probably why Eli Manning struggled last year against Dallas. He may not have need to have passed. Um, But you look at the Cowboys. Dak Prescott, I I see what you're saying over the first couple games, but in week three, you know, when Tony Romo was supposed to play that, you know, maybe the first half, Dak Prescott was not expected to play against the starters of Seattle, in Seattle. And that was, they were playing their first their, their like their studs they were they had them all on the field so he stepped in and played against that defense and he played pretty well um he may not have the gaudy numbers that he did in the first two weeks of the preseason but he was he was okay enough for me to be okay with him uh des bryant didn't even play that game so you you kind of look at des bryant okay let's start there des bryant has he's topped 137 targets just once in his career Yet he's finished as a top six wide receiver three times. Like the guy never relied on too much volume. It was usually t- touchdown dependent. And while I do see the touchdowns going down, his volume should go up. Tony Romo is a guy who who spreads the ball around so much. And it's frustrating as a Des Bryant owner in dynasty leagues like I am yeah. because you, you want to see him get to those gaudy numbers, those 170 target seasons that, you know, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones get. Um, but Dez should see enough volume to make his yardage numbers go up, even so that will make up for the slight dip in touchdowns because Romo and Dez in the goal line they had something going on and like if you're on the two yard line it's just going to go to Dez every single time unless you're doubling him and it, you know then you just basically run the ball right in you know with the running backs with the offensive line there in Dallas uh, Ezekiel Elliott I, I think the Cowboys being at home. They're going to try and control this game on the ground. They have the offensive line. They have the running back to do so. I think Prescott is competent enough to make them have that that game manager approach. This could be a tempo issue for New York Giants. It, there just might not be enough volume to go around for guys like Sterling Shepard, uh, like Victor Cruz. You know, There are just so many things in this game. It's causing me to fade Giants a little bit because they're heavily owned in uh, DFS yep. lineups. I already know that people are expecting this to be a shootout. And I think it could go the opposite way, considering what Dallas knows they want to do on offense. And honestly, I could see them being able to do it against this Giants front. Uh, We talked about continuity and with the new moving parts and everything, it takes time sometimes to get that down. So uh, I would back off just a little bit. I'm not saying that, you know, none of any of the Giants are bad starts. I'm just saying I'm not all in on them like some people are in
1: week one. Yeah. And if you think back to this fixture last season, uh, Giants fans would want to remember that one where... All they have to do is kind of, you know, run out the clock and made an absolute mess of it. So let's see how this goes on Sunday. Going uh, through some of the games now, trying to get uh, them finished as quick as we can to get through them. Obviously, Chicago at Houston. JJ Watt's expected to start this week for the Houston Texans after that back surgery. Uh, you're obviously trying to see how healthy Alison Jeffrey can get himself. But uh, obviously, uh, your thoughts on the the Texans? They've had a, a massive improvement at all positions, kind of over the the off season.
0: Yeah, no, they, it's been kind of amazing to see what everything, all the, the parts that came in, how they've worked together in the preseason. I'm still I'm still a little bit cautious heading into the season. You know, Brock Osweiler last year, we had him, he was the number 34 of 35 quarterbacks in deep ball accuracy. He completed just seven of 30 passes long um, with one touchdown. And that was with DeAndre Hopkins, so it's not like he didn't have, or that was with uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. So it's not like he didn't have weapons in Denver. So I worried about when they drafted Will Fuller and would Fuller translate and did he fit the offense particularly well? The Well, this preseason, it looks to be a good fit, but you know it's still going to take time. The Bears looked like they were going to be without their top three cornerbacks, but now... It looks like they're all back at practice. Uh, Tracy Porter, Kyle Fuller, and uh, Bryce Callahan are all back at practice. But still, in this game, if there's one player you have to have in lineups, it's Lamar Miller. Uh, I know he's missing a couple offensive linemen, but uh, this you couldn't ask for better uh, script material. He's at home. They're favored by more than three points. It's a team with so many moving parts. You know, J.J. Watt being back is going to limit the Bears offense. There's just so many reasons to think this is going to be a lower-scoring game. And Lamar Miller should, you know, he should flirt with 20 touches.
2: Right. I'm a big Lamar Miller fan, so I couldn't say enough about him. And please don't uh, don't get me started on him. But, <laughs> um, but moving forward into another game that I think is, is interesting because of, um, I think, some of the players that are going to be missing – or should I say the big player that's going to be missing from this game for the Bengals uh, is going to be Tyler Eifert. He's not going to be playing in week one. It sounds like he's still dealing with that. Uh, I think he had ankle surgery, if not yeah. mistaken,
1: yeah.
2: Um, after he heard it in the pro bowl of all places. Uh, so he won't be playing this week and that leaves them down a big target. He had 13 touchdowns in 13 games last season. And now they're going to be down to after already losing Marvin Jones and uh, Muhammad Sanu in free agency, you're gonna be looking at maybe a lot of AJ Green, a lot of Bryn LaFell. Then again, I'm dying inside trying to to try and say something positive about Bryn LaFell. Um, you know, maybe Giovanni J- uh, Bernard, Tyler Boyd. I'm curious to see what you think is going to happen with the the Bengals' offensive scheme with you know with Eifert out and the loss of two wide receivers and then Bryn LaFell still hurt, but he's gonna play and stuff like that. And also on the other side, you know. Now that Bilal, uh, I think it was uh, Kyrie Robinson is on the IR now, he takes away that goal line sort of job, and it makes it more secure for someone like Matt Forte. Do you think that he could really jump out of the gate and be a three down back for them? while Bilal Powell is just a, a you know a handcuff for him, and then also you know are the expectations too high for for Ryan Fitzpatrick coming into 2016 after what he did in, in yep. uh, 2015? <laughs>
0: yeah no yeah they absolutely are um, the Harvard grad he, he played his cards correctly um, he honestly he couldn't have had a better off season to be a free agent like yeah. he had everything in his corner there the Jets were when they draft Hackenberg you know they're screwed oh, right. Um but, yeah, looking at the Bengals' side, I mean, this is a game where it's – the game script is – oh, God, it's such a bad – I've got a bad taste in my mouth about this game. Um, it's got a 41-and-a-half over-under, which was one of the lowest of week one, and rightfully so. Uh, you look at it, you look at the Bengals and what they're going to want to do on offense. A.J. Green is going to be shadowed by Darrell Revis, and that's never a good thing. Um, I love A.J. Green. He's my number four wide receiver. You know, I would take him over DeAndre Hopkins and all that. But yes. – uh, but this isn't a week where I'm excited to put A.J. Green in. Uh, I think it's just he's going to need to get peppered in order to live up to wide receiver one status in this game. So he's more of a wide receiver two for me. I don't think you sit him, but expectations should be tampered. Uh, Now, and then you look at the running back position. I think the Bengals are just going to try and build on what they did this preseason. Jeremy Hill looked fantastic. Um, I think the hate went too far in him last season. Uh, But heading into this week, it's still well it's still uh it's still a tough matchup against the Jets front but the way they were using Gio Bernard lining him up as a wide receiver yep. there's enough here to be like okay they they have some playmakers Tyler Boyd is going to overtake Brandon LaFell at some point uh I don't I don't think it'll take very long for that to happen Brandon LaFell yeah, he had the most targets of anyone in the NFL last year without a touchdown 69 of them the next closest was nice. 40 with well, the next closest was 48 and that was uh, Mohammed Sanu and Taylor Gabriel. Uh, Sanu, obviously out of town. Yeah. Gabriel doesn't have a team right now. So, um, And then on the Jets' side, you know, Matt Forte has been good for so long. Uh, but I was worried about the Kyrie Robinson signing and the Bilal Powell re-signing there. And now with with Robinson gone... It helps clear up the things a little bit. Matt Forte is similar to Arian Foster in the sense that he's not the greatest running back. He never really was. He was, you know, right around four yards per carry. He's an average NFL running back, like running the ball. But what he does out of the backfield is special. He knows how to run routes. He knows where to be when he's supposed to be there. And it's going to work well for Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, the Bengals as a defense, they allowed over 50 yards per game to running backs uh, receiving last year. So that was one of the worst teams against uh, receiving backs. So Matt Forte should live up to high-end RB2 status in Week 1. On the other side, I mean, Bilal Powell, I don't know where everybody kind of came up with the idea that Bilal Powell is the second coming of, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell. The guy is, he's a veteran in the league. He's been around. We know who he is. The Jets know who he is. That's why they signed Matt Forte. That's why they signed Kyrie Robinson. You know, they were looking for someone to carry the load with Bilal Powell as a change of pace guy. I don't think that changes very much unless there's a Matt Forte injury. Uh, And then obviously, you know, you're starting your Brandon Marshalls and Eric Deckers.
1: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Baltimore Ravens game, about seeing the the snap counts and the splits after the game. I think this game for both sides, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than the Ravens uh, for a fantasy perspective. But I think, you know, you're talking about uh, Forte and Powell, then you're talking about Giovanni Bernard. Does he get many uh, uh, snaps split out wide and the share with him and Hill? So I think it's going to be an interesting one to look back on. And, you know, you mentioned... The green needs to get peppered this week I, I could see that very well happening he'd probably get in that you 12-13 know, target range so uh, it should be an interesting one trying to run through a couple of games we mentioned earlier uh, the Minnesota Vikings and we're not too excited about anyone on that side they they go to Tennessee this week and all off season I've been kind of hyping up Marcus Mariota uh, I really like Delaney Walker as well uh, it's going to be good to see what happens in the backfield there I think uh, later on in the season I think we'll see Henry take over but for week one uh, any of the, the Titans you're excited about?
0: Uh, I'm staying away from Derrick Henry in week one, and I know that yeah, he's going to be the play that every. Season play. Yeah, I think everybody wants to believe that he's just going to, you know, take off right out of the gate and all that. But, yeah. you know, he's playing against a Minnesota defense that allowed touchdown, a rushing touchdown in just four of their games last year. So they don't allow very many rushing touchdowns. Um, Minnesota's going to play the, the, the ball control game just as much as they will. And DeMarco Murray's not going anywhere. Uh, DeMarco Murray's look good. If anything, like I said, you, you actually call you said it, Marcus Mariota. I think he's gone undervalued in a lot of fantasy drafts. I've, I've seen him fall outside the top 15 in some. When you look at his rushing floor and what he accomplished last year, Marcus Mariota should be drafted inside of the top 15, if not top 12 quarterbacks this year. Um, Injury concern is a real thing. But the weird thing is, is we thought he would go in with like an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. (laughs) Now now we're kind of down to Rashard Matthews and Tajay Sharp. I mean, Kendall Wright, I don't know if that guy's ever going to play for the Titans again. Uh, You know, Doriel Greenbeckham's gone. Now we have what? Justin Hunter gone, yep. Andre Dolphins. Johnson and Harry Douglas. Yeah, it's kind of odd.
1: Uh, you, you said uh, you said an embarrassment of riches. You thought they were going to go in with maybe now it's just an embarrassment, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how they develop over the season. Uh, yeah. so next game up is uh, Tampa Bay at Atlanta, and uh, obviously you have two of the the stud wide receivers of uh, this year's draft classes, that, like as in fantasy drafts, uh, first and second round picks, and Julio Jones and uh, Mike Evans. It's going to be. Fascinating to see how this one starts off. I think both defenses are going to take a step forward this year, but I still think there'll be plenty of opportunities for fantasy points. Doug Martin last year, obviously, a huge comeback season for him after having a, a couple of injur- injury filled seasons. And then there's a, a bit of hype around Charles Sims to see if he can carve out a bit of a role behind Martin as well. But uh, outside of those guys, obviously, Devontae Freeman, somebody. Phenomenal start to last season. Then he tailed off. It's going to be interesting over the first six weeks of the season to see how him and him and Coleman uh, filter out. Because uh, see if he can you know bounce back to what he did towards the start of last season, even though it is definitely unsustainable. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, no. Well, if you watch the preseason, you could see clearly who the more talented running back was, and it was Freeman. Uh, Tevin Coleman looked like a running back who just got what was blocked for him. And if you get him a massive hole, he'll run through it. I mean, that's just anybody can really do that. I think Tevin Coleman's just a guy at this point where Devonta Freeman is a complete running back, uh, similar to what Ray Rice did back with the Ravens. Um, But looking at this game, I think a lot of people are going to scoff at the fact that I think that Matt Ryan's a top 10 option in this game. Uh, Matt Ryan's a, a different quarterback at home, as are most Dome quarterbacks. Uh, but you look at the fact that Tampa Bay, they allowed two or more passing touchdowns in 11 of their games last year. And on top of that, Matt Ryan knows this Tampa team where actually the, la- the last two games at home for Matt Ryan against Tampa, 286 yards, three touchdowns, and then 397 yards, two touchdowns. So Matt Ryan knows this team. He plays extremely well against them. Uh, He's smart about it because he targeted Julio Jones 30 times uh, in the in the last two (laughs) meetings that they've had together. So he's smart in that effect. And the Bucks don't have a corner to hang with Julio. Um, And on the flip side, you know Mike Evans, uh, he lucks out a little bit because Desmond Trufant, the number one corner for the Falcons. He doesn't shadow anybody. He stays at left cornerback in Dan Quinn's defense, similar to what Richard Sherman did when he was there. Um, So they should find a way to get Mike Evans the ball. I know that in the first meeting last year, he he only caught three passes for 48 yards. But then the second meeting, I think they started to catch on. uh, He had five for 61 and a touchdown. So uh, yeah, you definitely got to like Julio Jones and Mike Evans. And I'll get it on record here that I think Jameis Winston is a dark horse to finish as the league leader in past attempts this year,
1: interesting.
2: Wow, that's that's a, that's a bold one there, especially with uh, you know the money they just threw at Doug Martin.
1: Uh, yeah. So, whew, well, you heard
2: it here first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, moving into another game that uh, you know I, I think is interesting for fantasy purposes, uh, that would be Oakland versus um, New Orleans, and I guess some of the the, lo- the storylines I'm looking at here is. Um, obviously uh, New Orleans has a ton of playmakers on that offense. You can go from Brandon Cooks to Willie Sneed uh, to, you know, Kobe Fleener, who I don't like, but still he's a, he's a guy I guess you could mention. Michael Thomas, Josh Hill even. I'm curious to see how you think that breaks down um, I'm also curious to see what you think about Mark Ingram. Does he return to his receiving ways that he did last year he get over 50 receptions in 13 games before he went down with that shoulder injury? And also on the flip side, obviously the the Raiders have been complacent originally about uh, Latavius Murray, whether or not he was going to be their you know true number one for them, and now it seems like he is. And also just this passing game, Amari Cooper's sophomore season, where we've seen some wide receivers, like Mike Evans, for example, suffer a sophomore slump. And, um, you know, also, I'm a big fan of Michael Crabtree, especially as ADP right now. A lot of people are forgetting him with Amari Cooper's emergence. Do you think he can still have a somewhat similar season to what he had in 2015?
0: Uh no, I'm not a big Michael Crabtree guy. I think Michael Crabtree, if you look at last year and you take away the touchdowns, he was one of the least efficient wide receivers on a per target basis. Um, and the thing is, is Amari Cooper was dealing with a major injury. Uh, like you know, when he suffered, when you suffer a foot injury as a wide receiver, it's a big thing. And the Liz Frank injury, it sucks. I actually, I actually dealt with it myself, uh, for a while, and it will act up, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like rest doesn't help. It just it, it just took a while to go away. I couldn't run, like, comfortably for a long time. So to hear that Amari Cooper was playing through that last year in the second half, it makes all the sense in the world because if you look at his first half of the year versus the last half, the last half, completely different player. Like, the, he, a lot of people are, are put off by Amari Cooper because he may have screwed them over in the fantasy championship or their fantasy playoffs, but the guy was playing through a foot injury. Understand that. The guy is a beast. Uh... He's a top-five dynasty-wide receiver for me. I see him as a young Anquan Bolden. Uh, He's going to be real good. Uh, Latavius Murray, news came out today that it looks good. Um, DeAndre Washington is starting out as number three on the death chart behind Taiwan Jones. So when you see that, there's not really much concern to Latavius Murray's workload. The Raiders have said we want to give him the ball more than we did last year. And that's the part where I think people need to understand this has nothing to do with the Saints. This has everything to do with... Understanding a rookie and what it means for them to not be the greatest player in their first year Latavius Murray was essentially a rookie last year. I know he played a little bit towards the end of 2014, but he was essentially a rookie in the system. They threw the ball a lot. The defense is going to get better. I'm not giving up on them. I'm not giving up on Melvin Gordon either. Uh, sometimes it just takes a year for these guys to develop. You look at Le'Veon Bell. He averaged 3.5, 3.6 yards, his rookie year, um, I liked Latavius Murray as a player. He just didn't have many splash plays last year. Uh, on the other side, you know, the Saints, that's never going to change the way they sp- split the ball around. Hmm. I know there's a lot of people expecting a huge, you know, maybe wide receiver one upside with Brandon Cooks. I don't see it. In the Drew Brees' in the, uh, Drew Prees, uh, Sean Payton era, they have never targeted a wide receiver more than 126 times. So when you look at that, it's just like they never have that clear-cut number one guy. On top of that, I don't think Brandon Cooks is built to be that guy. You know, yeah. he's, uh, he's more of like that Deshaun Jackson type player that you could use in a non-conventional way. Uh, this week, I like Michael Thomas's matchup with DJ Hayden in the slot. I think it's the best matchup of the three wide receivers in in uh, New Orleans. But you touched on uh, Mark Ingram this year uh, and all the passes he caught. He basically caught five passes per game last year. I a fun stat is before last year, he had just one game in his career with more than three catches. So Mark Ingram, you need to dial. everybody needs to dial back his receiving totals. C.J. Spiller wasn't healthy last year. There was a reason they went out and took Daniel Lasco in the draft. Although it was late, that's fine for what Daniel Lasco brings to the offense. Yeah. So, yes, I see his numbers dipping down a little bit. Um, the two players you should like in this game, Kobe Fleener uh, and uh, Clive Walford, the Saints allowed the most points to t- tight ends last year, 11.2 points per game. That's in standard leagues. And then Kobe Fleener, where Oakland, they allowed the most touchdowns to tight ends last year, 12 of them.
1: Yeah, there was a stage last season where basically every game a tight end played against the Saints. Yes. They were in a run of touchdowns, so uh, it was a basically automatic start. You mentioned Lascaux there, too, one of the, the Spark uh, ratings favorites as well. You know, I'm not a big fan of Latavius Murray, and you mentioned him there, but you know they've been telling us all season they want to give him the, a huge workload, and. You know, uh, I haven't been listening and I'm probably going to pay the price because, you know, you look at that depth chart now and there's nothing really to hold him back and he's going to get those carries. So I think he's uh, going to turn out to anyone who drafted him could turn out to be a a very good bargain this season. Obviously very exciting that NFL Week 1 is here. We have three games left to do. Me and Doug are going to run through them after. But just before we get to them last three, Mike is obviously on Twitter. It's at Mike NFL. that is T-A-G-L-I-E-R-E. And, uh, of course, if you haven't uh, checked out his podcast yet, it is uh, The Hot Right Pod, and he does that with his wife Tammy as well. It's a very interesting listen, And, obviously, you've heard him blasting out the stats uh, just straight off the tip of his tongue here on the podcast. Definitely do check him out on that. That is The Hot Right Podcast. Uh, thanks, Mike, for jumping aboard the show.
0: No, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, if if there's one piece of advice I could let you guys leave with is that forget about ADP. You know, react to what's taking place in the yep. field. Uh, you have to adjust because those that stuck well. I drafted this guy in the third round. You'll never get anywhere uh, in fantasy football. Hi, I'm Chris Harris
1: of the Harris Football Podcast, and you are listening to Overtime Ireland. So, Doug, uh, obviously there I mentioned Mike's Twitter handle. It is at Mike Taglier NFL. You should definitely be following him on Twitter. Uh, you may, the stats he was uh, blasting out there as we went through it, that's what you'll get on his Twitter feed. Uh, definitely worth following him. And definitely uh, you'll definitely get knowledge uh, heading into the NFL season as week one is approaching. Doug, we have three games left to run through, and we're going to try and get through them as sharply as possible. First up, Detroit heading to Indianapolis. to go on the Colts. Obviously, Andrew Luck coming back from... Uh, his injury hit season last year and uh, there's been a lot of buzz around Dante Moncrief uh, I'm very very high on him even in this last week's drafts I've picked him up uh, on multiple occasions looking forward to seeing what he can do this week Detroit um, obviously Eric Ebron status still up in the air at the as the time of recording this I don't know is he going to play this week Doug
2: you know when we get down to Sunday I think he's going to play um you know he's had a couple weeks to recover from his ankle injury what we all thought it was a you know, potentially season-ending injury from how it's described. Um, and I think he's an important part of this offense, especially with they're trying to pick up, you know, the slack from losing Calvin Johnson to retirement. You know, they signed Marvin Jones. They got Golden Tate in there. And they got Anquan Bolden as well. You know, they're going to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. But especially with the situation where they don't have necessarily a lot of, you know, confidence. Not necessarily confidence, but there's no real – danger to this run game, at least a start. You know, uh, Amir Abdullah did well in the beginning of last season and just tailed off at the end. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that there's going to be a couple things to keep in mind. Um, But I think this is going to be a very pass-heavy offense where, you know, it could be those three wide receivers included. And I think Ebron could be a big uh, red zone target along with uh, Marvin Jones as well. So I think this is going to be a game where, you know, he'll be in it. Maybe he doesn't play every snap as he's still recovering from – what what was described as a pretty serious ankle injury um but uh i i think that he'll be involved in some fashion i'm not saying he's a top 10 uh, tight end this week but i think he'll be uh pretty good in, in regards to uh over the course of the season
1: yeah obviously i checked the injury reports before the game but i think he is one of those if he plays uh and he gets uh snaps in the red zone there is always that upside of uh, the possibility of a touchdown uh, with the inj- injury discount. I've been picking up in a lot of drafts over the last couple of weeks, so I'm interested to see. I think it'll be more uh, later on in the season, week 3, 4, 5, where we start to see him get a, a good run of games coming in there. Uh, on the Obviously, Andrew Luck, expecting him to bounce back this season, starting him with uh, great confidence this week. Obviously, if you've drafted him, <laughs> you've no real option other than do with the, the stock that people have put into him.
2: Yeah, no, I I think so, especially with, you know, they didn't do much to their run game. They didn't seem to be able to help much with it. Obviously, they have Frank Gore in there, but then they didn't really do, again, didn't do much. They added Josh Ferguson, undrafted free agent, and then, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, they also, you know, brought in Robert Turbin. You know, they even signed Stephen, uh, Stephen Ridley, but then he didn't even do much with the team before he was released. So I think it's going to be a situation. I, I know that Mike had said that he thinks Jameis Winston is going to be, um, you know, a guy who could lead the the league in passing attempts. Yep. I think it could be Andrew Luck this year just because of how much or how little I should say they didn't put into their run game and just how much this defense could keep, make them uh, stay behind a lot. So I, th- I think especially with all these wide receivers that they have, at least the top three, yeah. being T.Y. Elton, Dante Moncrief, and Phillip Dorsett, I think it's going to be a situation where Andrew Luck is going to go right back into being a, uh, a top five quarterback, if not a top three, just because of how much he's going to throw and obviously the town he's throwing to along with his, his own too.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense too if you get your uh, quarterback battered behind the line of scrimmage last season and he misses most of the season to drop him back as many times as possible this season again and get hit as many times as possible. Looks like a good strategy there from the Colts. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I would start all the wide receiver. Well, T, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief with confidence. If you're looking for a tight end start, Dwayne Allen, uh, I think you'll, you'll slot him there nicely. Next up, Pittsburgh Steelers at Washington. I think Pittsburgh are going to do a lot less uh, in real life this year than people expect. But in fantasy... Obviously, you know what you're getting from Antonio Brown. There's no real need to talk about him. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is going to have that good of a season. People are drafting him very highly. And um, then, of course, DeAngelo Williams looking will get to start at running back with Le'Veon Bell out suspended. Anyone else for the Steelers that you're interested in this week? Uh, you know, with, with the kind of carnival of <laughs> players there that we don't know what's happening at tight end. And then behind Antonio Brown, there's kind of nothing really all that uh, definite.
2: Yeah, what I'm curious to see is how much they use uh, Eli Rogers, the guy yes, who they so projected to be projected to be their slot receiver, yep. uh, now that they're going to try and move Marcus Wheaton outside. Because I think that the Redskins have two really good, or two uh, very decent, if not better, um, in regards to their uh, cornerbacks. They signed Josh Norman in the offseason after he was strangely released by the Panthers. And then they got Brashad uh, Breland as well, who I think is is starting to come up. I think his ceiling is a number two uh, cornerback, and that's what he's being used as 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 opposed to a number one. So I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Antonio Brown and I think Marcus Wheaton, who line up on the outside. But it could be an interesting situation to see how Eli Rogers does in the slot. I think that, you know, he won the role. Um, you know, Sammy Coates, he's relegated to number four wide receiver duties. I think Eli Rogers is going to be a guy who can, you know, rack up some targets, especially with, you know, now they're tight end. They don't know what's going on with Darius Green, but you're going to put in probably Jesse James, it sounds like, uh, at tight end, or, or my guy Xavier Grimble. But regardless, I think it's a situation where, um, you know, they're going to have to throw a lot, and they're losing guys. They lost, you know, Martavis Bryant, and then just in general – um you know sammy coach didn't live up to expectations so they're gonna have to throw the ball and i think a guy to look at especially when it comes to matchups is going to be eli rogers this week
1: yeah then washington obviously you know rob kelly could get a, a lot of snaps here for for the redskins this week with their backfield situation Kirk cousins um you know i'm not a big Kirk cousins fan but as fantasy football goes he's definitely going to put up nice points each and every week i don't think the steelers d is going to be great this season so I think there's an opportunity there uh, deshaun jackson is healthy he's played through the whole of camp and it's unusual for him to spend so much time in training camp but uh he he I think could be an interesting play here a couple of deep shots to him uh Jordan Reed obviously we know what he can do as well anyone on the Washington Redskins team that I haven't named there that you're uh, looking to uh, try and start in some teams this week
2: yeah he, there's not a lot of players I'm excited about. Um, with the Redskins maybe outside of those three, uh, being Jordan Reed, um, Kirk Cousins, who I'm not saying he's going to be a top uh, tight end, but I think he – I'm not – I'm sorry. Quarterback. A Quarterback. (laughs) He's definitely not going to be a top tight end. (laughs) No, no, he's not. No, he's not. But I I don't think he's going to be a top quarterback as he did last year. Um, I I think he could be serviceable. I think he could be a top 15 quarterback. But I'm not so sure I'm ready to start him in like 12 or 14 team leagues, uh, even though he is facing a a rather weak secondary – against pittsburgh because i think you know he did well against bad teams last year if you break down the splits and the statistics um he, he struggled against tougher teams i guess you could say so i don't know if that includes you know defenses and stuff like that but still i think it's gonna be a matchup where it could be a high scoring game but i'm not so sure it's gonna you know uh, you know be high scoring from washington's side as well i think it's gonna be pittsburgh running up the score and washington trying to keep up and i i'm just not so sure that Kirk Cousins is going to be able to, to do anything close to what he did last season. So it's a situation where I think, you know, obviously his running game is just, you know, I don't like Matt Jones. And if I don't like Matt Jones, I'm not going to like Rob Kelly, who I think is even worse. I'm not saying I'm <laughs> preferring Matt Jones to somebody because I can't, uh, just because I physically cannot. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if any production is going to come on through the passing game, and obviously you got to keep a guy like um, – Jordan Reed in your lineup but other than that I don't have a lot of faith in their wide receivers maybe outside Deshaun Jackson I don't like Pierre Garçon I think he's being overvalued as he did last year yeah. um, and then you know Jameson Crowder Josh I think Josh Dawson isn't going to play week one yeah. and then you got Jameson Carter as well who you know he's a he's a slot guy but he's not going to do much in fantasy so I think it's a situation where you're going to start the guys that you like which is Jordan Reed and Deshaun Jackson but I'd be hesitant on guys like Kirk Cousins or Pierre Garçon Um, Just because you know, I I don't think they're going to see consistent week to week, um, you know, production where they're going to be worried of starting. And I don't think this is going to come this week either.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. And just for anyone that didn't know already, uh, Doug does not like Matt Jones. Uh, Moving on, (laughs) moving on. Shocker, shocker. (laughs) Moving on to the last game of the week, uh, the LA Rams traveling to San Francisco to face the 49ers. Obviously, Torrey Smith is uh, a wide receiver that plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Outside of that, the wide receiver depth chart is absolutely barren. Um, you know, So there's no one really going to start there. I know there is Vance McDonald fans out there. Maybe he gets uh, the targets to go with Torrey Smith. Uh, then in the backfield, Carlos Hyde still in concussion protocol, but it uh, looks like he will be cleared apparently. So, Shep Kelly says however he knows that his concussion will be gone by the time Sunday comes around. But he's going to he's going to be starting and then uh, the quarterback situation I'm just staying away from it the LA Rams Todd Gurley uh, if you want to start Tavon Austin go right ahead and do it outside of that I'm staying clear anything to uh, excite you in this game it is the last game on uh, Monday Night Football with two Monday Night Football games this week and I think this is one that nobody will be watching (laughs) <laughs> unless, no no unless I, your fantasy I, game comes down dead but i'm in no rush to watch this.
2: yeah I, I unless you own todd Gurley and you need this game yeah. i don't see many people watching i think it starts at 10 20 eastern so this is going to be a situation where <laughs> you know i don't know why they're doing this because it, it, for you it's probably going to be like what uh you know, four in the morning or something like that yeah. <laughs> um so i don't think you're going to be watching it necessarily i don't think i'm going to watch much of it um it's just because it's on a monday if it was a saturday maybe sunday yeah but you know some of us have work and i don't think they realize that but yeah this this 49ers offense has really turned from bad to absolutely worse you know carlos hyde may not play in this game because of his concussion you know, they lost their number two uh, wide receiver, Bruce Ellington. I think he tore his hamstring. He's out for the season. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just a situation where you know, outside Torrey Smith and, and Vance McDonald, if that, there is nobody to trust in this <laughs> offense uh, if Carlos Hyde doesn't play. Yeah. You're not going to get much from Blaine Gabbard. I don't think you know they're going to pass the ball a lot just because you know that's what Drew Kelly's offense does. But this, this is just – this is ugly. This yeah. is a really ugly situation where – you know, they, they need to somehow draft a number one wide receiver and a number one quarterback and they only have one first round pick next year. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough, but this is going to be a brutal year for 49ers fans and just people who own any 49ers in general. I'm a big Carlos Hyde fan, but I I can't, even if he plays against a tough, tough, uh, team like the Rams on their defense, uh, it's going to be just brutal all the way around. And, and while, uh, well, both of these teams aren't that good. I think this could be a game where we see Washington—not uh, Washington, but St. Louis. Oh God, I'm so used to seeing St. Louis, but uh, Los Angeles, yeah. uh, L.A., blowing out um, San Francisco.
1: Yeah, and I'm so lucky I get to see uh, the Rams uh, playing in Week Four. Really looking forward to seeing all the excitement there. But maybe, maybe we'll be very surprised. And uh, Jeff Fisher. Turns them into a 9-7 team this year. But uh, you mentioned as well, just when we were going through some of the predictions for the games, you were talking about Pittsburgh running up the score on Washington. Uh, I'm not a fan of this Washington Redskins team, but um, the Redskins are going to win that game easily. Mark me down for the win for the Washington Redskins obviously it was a lot of fun having Mike on the show make sure you follow him as we mentioned at the start you can follow me on Twitter, it's at Overtime Ireland, my own personal account is at the Column Kelly and of course Doug is on Twitter at DMR NFL, where he's writing for 1400 uh, news agencies at the minute mostly covering the Patriots as we head in to NFL week one. I hope you all have a fantastic uh Sunday watching the games. Maybe you're a Broncos or a Panthers fan listening to this. Hopefully you have a, a successful result for yourself on Thursday night football. Uh the next time, Doug, we record a show, I will be a married man as my wedding is this Saturday. Um and, That's right, your uh, nuptials. Yes. <laughs> and at a uh, has been taking a toll on me. I'm amazed I go through this without stumbling over my words on multiple occasions. I am absolutely exhausted with all the the preparation going into it between drafting my fantasy teams, getting everything ready for the big day and, of course, then doing the podcast and so on. I've just been running around like a headless chicken, getting as much done as possible. But uh, I hope the listeners had a good time. It was a fun show uh, with Mike and, of course, with Doug as well. So until I'm back with the next uh, show, uh, as this is the last show as a single man, so I'll sign off with that. Have a good one.